are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama Day 3 of SEC Media Day coverage. Presented by the Orthopedic Clinic with locations in Auburn and Opelika, Redmont Vodka distilled right here in Birmingham, and Kia of Auburn where you're always number one. Packed show for you guys today. we got a couple of great guests lined up for you all today. Chris Stewart of the Crimson Tide Sports Network coming up later on in the show, as well as Chris Gordy, radio host out of Houston, doing Locked On SEC. A lot of great content for you guys today. Day three of SEC Media Days in Hoover features Alabama, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. The defending national champions have taken over Hoover, Alabama. Yeah, and it was really interesting uh, to to uh, to listen what coach, to what Coach Saban had to say earlier today, and uh, he he about scared a Kentucky beat writer to death after he was asked about twelve personnel, and Saban was like, "What exactly are y'all talking about?" It was like that where you have two tight ends and like a receiver, and he was like, "Nah, I'm just kidding," and the whole room busted out laughing, and it was it was really fun. But yeah, Saban was uh, was interesting to get to listen to. Um, he was very similar to Kirby Smart, very well prepared, and the things that he had to say. Um, and yeah, just some just some interesting questions overall. He was asked a little bit about Miami. Uh, Fidarian Mathis was asked about Miami as well, and just how they're preparing for that. And both of them said, honestly, we haven't really gotten around to those guys yet. We're just trying to focus on what we're doing in practice right now, and then we'll get to that later. I think one of the first questions Saban was asked about is obviously the NIL deal with Bryce Young and how he casually mentioned, like, oh yeah, my quarterback might be making somewhere around six figures. Uh, he addressed that a little bit more. Uh, t- saying that you know that's something that you couldn't couldn't do 20 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, and how much the college landscape has changed. And he's just talking about how he talked a lot about success, sustaining success, making sure that he puts his players in position to have success, making sure that when a player comes out of this program that they have success and that they know that this program helped benefit them in a lot of different ways. So he was just talking about just how, how to continue to sustain success at Alabama. He said there's not really a whole lot of culture changes going on, uh, and so it's just kind of keeping the momentum going. And then a really blunt response to a question saying, you know, you've been in this business for so long. How do you have longevity in the SEC? And he said, well, I think that's simple. you got to go out there and win. And what does it take to win? I think that, that that answers the question better than anything. And then you rolled into it about how, like, you've got to have a culture. You've got to understand what you want to accomplish and all different things like that. So a little bit of coach speak there from Saban. But, yeah, he w- he had some interesting comments. And, you know, it, it, like, like you mentioned on yesterday's show, there, there are not a whole lot of special storylines for Alabama and Georgia because their mentality is that they're going to get to that championship game, and so all they're talking about is she's just, just preparation for that moment. They transcend all of the losses that they have on their roster, and we've talked about this a lot over the summer, whether or not that is justified, whether or not they're passed as a precedent 
for them transcending all of these losses and people just assuming that they're going to be one of the best teams in the SEC yet again and that they're going to be a national championship contender. Whether that's fair or not, I think the fact that Nick Saban has won six national championships since 2009, I think that has a little bit to say about it. It just doesn't feel like Alabama or Georgia gets asked difficult questions at SEC media days. Am I wrong? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I don't think there are really any difficult questions to ask because they just continue to reload. Like, everybody knows what the, who's coming back and who's not. And, you know, he was asked about Henry To'o and how he's going to be able, be able to help bolster uh, this this defensive, uh, this linebacker linebacking unit for, uh, for Alabama. He was asked about Lane Kiffin. Uh, he was asked about a couple of uh, local Auburn players, Javion Cohen and Christian Story, and how those guys have played out. I mean, not not really in- difficult questions. Asked about Bill O'Brien and his background in the NFL, and how what what principles that he's going to bring into this new offense. I mean, they're not very difficult questions. And, and Saban had a pretty reasonable response to all of them. It, it was not a very difficult time for either Georgia or Alabama here at Media Days. As you and I have done for every single day of SEC Media Days, I want to take a look at each of these teams that are appearing in Hoover today or have appeared in Hoover today and one question from each of us about each of those teams. And we will start with the Alabama Crimson Tide, a team that we've been previewing a bit already. Yeah, and I think a question, and you might have a very similar question, is is who's going to step up in that receiver room outside of John Mechie? You know, Slade Bolden and Ajayi Hall were two guys that they ca- that were casually mentioned, I believe by one of the players, uh, th- whenever they were talking about different receivers that could potentially step up. Uh, I'm not necessarily completely sold on Slade Bolden as like the number two guy or the t- number two target. I think Ajayi Hall definitely has a lot more potential there. And uh, they were talking about, you know, who's going to be that vertical threat. So my question is, Who's stepping up in this receiver room? Who is Bryce Young going to throw to outside of John Mechie? Because they've got a lot of really young talent. And don't forget about Jalil Billingsley at tight end, who will probably see an increased role at his spot, whether it's attached to the line of scrimmage or coming out of the slot. Last year, Jaleel Billingsley's stat line, only 18 receptions, 287 yards, 15.9 yards per reception, three touchdowns. Less receptions than the entire Auburn tight end room, but more yardage and more touchdowns and I imagine that he sees an increased role at Alabama this year my question is the same as many about this Alabama team how much of a step back does the offense take or is there any step back at all is this offense going to continue to be one of the most lethal offenses in all of college football no continuity on that side of the ball hardly at all you got a couple of offensive linemen coming back you're blessed to have someone as good as Evan Neal coming back on the offensive line probably going to move him from the right side of the line to the left side of the line to play left tackle this Alabama team has a wealth of riches in its youth but the big question is the last time that we saw Alabama lose this much talent the last time that they only had three starters returning the last time that they had that 2015 now they won a national championship that year with Jake Coker but the offense also averaged its least amount of points in the last seven years at 35.1 points per game the last three seasons Alabama has at least averaged 45.6 it's actually increased each of the last three years 2018 45.6 points per game 2019 47.2 points per game and then 2020 48.5 points per game I'm curious freshman quarterback new running back, new receiving core. Half of the offensive line's gone. 
new offensive coordinator, does this offense take a step back into the high 30s? Because enough of a drop back into the high 30s could be enough to keep this group from winning the national championship. Well, I think they're definitely going to take a step back. It's just, yeah, the question is, is how how significant of a drop are the numbers going to take? I don't know if it's going to get into the high 30s. It might drop down to maybe 41, 42 points a game. I think Bryce Young is going to keep this offense humming. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the offensive side of the ball. Like you said, not a whole lot of continuity there. Not a whole lot of production coming back. You've got Evan Neal and you've got another a couple of other offensive line starters, but you're breaking in some really really young players and you're breaking in a new OC and so last time like you mentioned we saw that Alabama didn't produce a whole lot of results now I think Bryce Young is a little bit more talented than Jake Coker was I think he's definitely going to be a little bit more dynamic for the for the Crimson Tide he's going to be able to do a few more things for them but yeah I see this offense taking a step back and if this defense is going to stick around somewhere between 19 and 20 points a game uh, it could keep them out of the national title conversation because we've talked about this before on the show they could find themselves playing against an Ole Miss or an LSU type team that really likes uh, what they're doing on offense and if those teams can score enough like we saw uh, Ole Miss do Alabama's not going to have a perfect game offensively every single time they step onto the field it just takes one mistake and that that gives an opportunity for one of these other teams to uh to to uh to go out and get the win so yeah I I definitely think this offense takes a step back and could potentially lead to them losing a game on their schedule let's switch gears to Vanderbilt Coming down from Nashville, Tennessee to Hoover, Alabama, Clark Lee took the stage and had about 30 minutes at the main podium, a lot longer than maybe I expected for the Vanderbilt head coach. What things, what questions do you have about Vanderbilt? Well, uh, I think the first question that was asked to him is, what would you define success this season in 2021, and how much do you focus on the win-loss record? And he said uh, he, he won't place a, a, any much value on the win, win-loss record. He doesn't believe doing that. Uh, he said that every game that he plays in this season, he expects to have a plan to win, and he'll will, they'll measure their results off their execution and that plan to win. So they're just saying, we're going to go out there, we're going to have a game plan, and we're going to measure how well we do based off of how well we execute that plan. We don't care about win-loss records. So, uh, I, I, that's interesting because at the end of the day, we all know that coaches are graded on wins and losses. That's kind of what I was thinking whenever I heard that. I'm like, but yeah, at the end of the day, what, what the, the media is going to be looking at and what we're going to be looking at is, you know, what was your record? Did you win an SEC game? I don't care if you lost to Kentucky by three points, you still lost that game. It's like I'm looking to see you make improvement and get closer to bowl eligibility. That's kind of what you would shoot for at Vanderbilt if you're going for the best The the best of times is, is finding a way to get those six wins. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad perspective on it, but you definitely need to take into consideration those wins and losses because you have a fan base that cares a lot about how many games you win. Not necessarily at Vanderbilt, but just like in college football. If you're a coach, you're going. Or if if you're a coach at a school, fans are going to care about how many games you win. My question is, what is he thinking about the number situation where everybody lost their number and has to earn it back? Did anybody ask him about that? I not not that I saw. Now I could have just been I could have just uh, blanked out there for a second, but I but I went back and looked through the transcript and I couldn't see uh, anybody really really step out and mention that they were talking about just like rebuilding the program and and talking about offensively what they're going to be able to do after being so terrible last season talked about recruiting in the state of Tennessee uh talked about a little bit about Mike Elko and how he's been an influence on Clark Lee 
nothing about nothing about the uh, the numbers that I'm seeing uh, from the transcript, but uh, it's 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 really really interesting his coaching style and the, what he's brought to the SEC, and I. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I'd be taking uh, numbers away from all my players, but uh, it's certainly uh, it's certainly a strategy. I'll say that. What are your thoughts on it? It's interesting because at the end of the day, whether they earn it or not, whether they earn their numbers or not, you play football with a number on your jersey. So whether or not you deem that they've earned it or not, when they step out there on September fourth. And they play whoever they're playing to open their season, East Tennessee State. When they step out there, they have to wear numbers. So I understand earning your position. I understand earning other things inside the program. I understand having to earn your role and your spot in the program, right? I get that. Earning numbers, that seems like a little bit much, but that's just me. Let's switch gears here. Mike Leach, the Pirate, takes the main podium for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. One question for Mississippi State today. Um, so we've seen the air raid offense in the SEC once. What are you going to do to change it a little bit to make it better? Because what we saw last season was abysmal. What are you going to do to improve on the air raid? Because you can't just go out there and try and do what you did last season because people literally figured it out after one game. After one game, they figured it out. You're not going to sustain success in the SEC running that type of offense if everybody knows what you're doing. So what are you going to do to make it either a little bit different or to improve on some of the the, the concepts that you were trying to run last season? That's my question because it, you weren't able to run the ball even a fraction of what you should be as an air raid offense. You should be somewhere. Didn't try to. Yeah, you should be somewhere around 90, 95 yards rushing per game if you're if you're running the air raid. And they were sitting at 43.9, which was literally dead last in the country 127th nationally only average 2.4 yards per carry i mean it was just abysmal they need to i'm not saying that they need to run the ball because obviously they like to to uh to 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 throw the ball around but they need to be more efficient overall as an offense like if you're going to run the air raid you shouldn't be 20th best nationally in passing yards per game you should be higher than that you should be top 10 because that's all your offense does they were not good last season and so my question is how is this offense going to get better Of course, there's a bit of a quarterback battle in Starkville. You've got the returner, Will Rogers, but he's also being pushed by some transfers. Jack Abraham from Southern Miss. And then also, he's got Chance Lovertich from South Alabama in his quarterback room. It'll be interesting to see if any of those guys push Will Rogers to the brink or if Will Rogers will be the returning starter for Mississippi State this year. Let's switch gears. Last team to talk about here, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M Aggies. Yeah, I think the the question that a lot of people are going to be asking about, because, you know, they bring back so much on the defensive side of the ball. They've got pretty good skill position players, but that offensive line in that quarterback situation, I think we're gonna be, there's going to be a lot of questions asked about those two guys, but specifically Haynes King, the freshman quarterback. That is what I don't think he's the, he's been announced as the starter, but I think he's definitely leading the race right now, unless we're told otherwise here in, in, in just a little while. But I think my, my questions would revolve around that O-line and how Haynes King has been developed in spring in spring uh, practice and how they're going to get him ready during fall camp for what it, you know for any SEC team even though this is a relatively uh, easy SEC schedule compared to some others it's still a gauntlet in terms of the fact that you are going through the SEC West and how are you how are you going to prepare a freshman quarterback to do that behind a retooling offensive line 
Is Haynes King the guy at quarterback? How is his development going? How comfortable is he? What kinds of things will Texas A&M do to make him comfortable? And I think that centers around the offensive line that you briefly mentioned that is having to replace four starters. Of course, you've got left tackle Kenyon Greenback, who is in the house for Texas A&M here in Hoover. I'll be interested to see what he's got to say about that quarterback battle happening out there at Texas A&M and College Station. There's a lot of great stuff that we'll be talking about today. Day three coverage of SEC Media Days. You're listening to that on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama, presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Keo Vollmer. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama, day three of our special coverage of SEC Media Days here in Hoover, presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Kia Valburn. We've got Robbie Weinstein of Vandy 24-7, also a national desk writer for 24-7 Sports. Robbie, I appreciate it, my man. Yeah, it's great to see you guys in person. I mean, I've been on once or twice, you know, remotely just calling in or whatever, and it's great to be on Radio Row today, uh, seeing everybody in person. Uh, that's the best part of the job, right? And it's good to be back. Taking a look at the Vanderbilt Commodores, of course, we got to see Clark Lee for the first time in person, or at least Lance and I got to see him for the first time in person. I know I'm sure you've gotten to see him a lot up to this point, but I had someone back at the station when I sent the audio to him of the press conference and said, Clark Lee sounds like a philosopher. What, is, what mm-hmm. has been your impressions of Clark Lee up to this point? Yeah, pretty much that. I, I was talking to a coworker of mine, and I was like, his – I was like, Clark Lee's vocabulary is like five or six grade levels, you know, above every other <laughs> coach that's here. And that's not disrespect to the other coaches. Like, it's like, you know, I, I, a friend of mine or um, someone I, who I work with who's over at Vandy said something like that, you know, joked about how he's carrying around a, a thesaurus with him instead of a playbook or whatever. So <laughs> he's definitely um, definitely well-read. I mean, who knows how it's going to translate to being a head football coach in the SEC. I don't know that it means anything one way or another, but – uh, yeah, he, he likes those big words. I hate to go this direction, but as soon as you sat down, you mentioned Derek Mason. Yeah, and the yeah. The question no, is about Derek Mason. Of course, we do an Auburn radio yeah, show yeah. here. So what do you think Auburn's getting at Derek Mason coming in, and what was your impressions of some of those answers about Derek Mason coming to Auburn? Yeah, I, I mean – it's a good question because it really depends on whether, like, are they getting the guy who was the DC at Stanford seven years ago or whatever? I mean, right. That was a long time ago. So if that's who they're getting, then it's a steal for them. And they got an elite defensive coordinator, and especially his specialty back then was stopping Oregon, right? And um, seven years later, a lot of offenses play like Oregon. It's not so strange anymore. So I think it's really valuable to have a defensive coordinator who knows how to do that and is you know, stopped those great Oregon teams back in the day. Uh, having said that, I don't think you guys or I know whether he's still that guy anymore because he hasn't been doing that for quite a while. And he did – he was Vanderbilt's defensive coordinator a couple of different times over the last few years, and sometimes the results were good and sometimes they weren't. And I think it was more of a personnel thing probably. So I think it was a good hire. I mean, certainly he has spent enough time in the South now to where recruiting – is, is not going to be an issue for him. I think like he has enough connections, and I know uh, recruits would, would speak highly of him You know, as a person uh, when they interacted with him when Vanderbilt was recruiting him. The issue was Vanderbilt's facilities sucked, and the team wasn't any good. So now that he has more to sell, I think he could do really good work like in terms of recruiting. 
terms of the scheme and all that, I mean, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think it was worth taking a shot on him, and I think he'll probably be, probably be really good. One of the first questions that Clark Lee was asked is what constitutes a successful season for Vanderbilt this year and whether or not he put puts any stock at all into the uh, win-loss record. What, in your mind, is a good win-loss record for Vanderbilt at the end of the season for them to look back and say, the players and coaches to say, that was a successful season? Probably like 5-7, and seven, I would guess. And the other thing is since, you know, with the way the bowl selection process works now, uh, if you have a really high APR, there's a chance that you could get selected for a bowl game at five and seven. It doesn't usually happen, but you know if it does happen, Vandy's going to be one of the schools along with you know Northwestern, West Point, some of those that is going to have a chance to get in at five and seven. But I don't, I don't think they're going to go five and seven. <laughs> like that's the thing is like, I, it sounds like such a you know kind of um, patronizing question to ask an SEC head coach at SEC media days, but. If they are going to just you know count the wins and losses as whether it's a successful season or not, I mean they're going to go like three and nine, and it's not you know you could they would just be saying right now they they know they're not going to have a successful season. Right? right. Well, let me ask you this question then: Is there a player on this roster that could get Vanderbilt to a bowl game? Is there somebody that will stand out and will carry this team uh, to a bowl game potentially? I mean, I doubt it. I, I just think the defense is going to be brutal. Honestly, uh, I think the offense could be pretty good. I, I think they could have. You know, something like the 11th, maybe even 10th best offense in the SEC. I don't see why not. Like they we don't like have. Ken Seals. We do. We, <laughs> yeah, we like Ken Seals. He may not even. He may not be the starter. Like wow. he, he could get passed by Mike Wright, who was in the same recruiting class as him, was rated just as highly, and is more of a dual threat guy. I would, if I had to bet, I'd bet on Ken Seals. But I think he's a pretty good player. They're getting a bunch of offensive linemen who opted out last season, so the line is going to be a lot better. Uh, basically, everybody returns, and I think they could be decent. But uh, the problem is defensively, they just they just don't have much. And you know, unless Clark Lee sprinkles his you know magic fairy dust on the defense, I, I just don't see. You know, I, it's a tough schedule. You know, even I think Tennessee and South Carolina, I wouldn't be surprised if Bandy is roughly as good as them. But they got to go on the road to both. Mm-hmm. So it, it, from that perspective, it just doesn't fall their way. Taking a look at a player that transferred from Vanderbilt to Auburn, safety Donovan Kaufman. I asked you yeah. this question off the air: Is this guy a stud? I think he's good. I, I think he's good. And I saw him recently. I saw him play in the spring, and he looked athletically. He looked, you know, kind of above and beyond every other defensive player on Vanderbilt's roster, I thought. He was making, you know, really impressive one-in catches uh, and, like, one-on-ones and, and such when, you know, the defensive back was – one of the defense, defensive backs would play, basically play as a wide receiver in practice, and, and they would have to defend him one-on-one. And he's, like, making – one-handed catches falling out of bounds and stuff, and, and he's not even playing receiver, right? He's he's a safety or nickel or however Auburn is going to use him. He's a good kick returner as well. He ran one back like 65 yards or something against LSU last season. And I think the biggest thing is he still has four years of eligibility left. So I think he could make an impact for Auburn this year. But the big thing is, you know, he is he's like 5'9". He's pretty small, so I don't see him as like – probably a, you know, a guy who's going to leave after three seasons, go to the NFL. So you could get like four years of good football out of him. Switching to the national side of things, today Alabama was here. And typically, you know, you look out in the lobby and there would yeah, be a lot yeah. more Alabama fans here, but they were relegated to the parking lot in the front of the hotel. I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> I know you guys are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Taking a look at the Alabama Crimson Tide, the question about them, eight new starters on offense. Does that scare you at all? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be as good offensively as last year, but how could you be? 
it doesn't scare me that much. I mean, the way they recruit, eh, you know, I mean, I think Bryce <laughs> Young is going to be really good. So I, I still think, I mean, I picked them to win the SEC. I could see Georgia beat them to the punch, but I don't know. I, I almost think the thing is Texas A&M is starting over at quarterback. Uh, LSU, you know, was just so underwhelming last year. I'm sure they'll be much better, but, I mean, they, they just weren't that good. So I I don't know. I guess there's a little bit of a vacuum in the West in terms of, you know, every team is going to be good, like always, but is there going to be another top five team in the SEC West this year? I don't really – I wouldn't project that personally. Maybe there will be. Maybe I'll be wrong. But from that standpoint, I feel pretty good about Alabama. So in your mind, the Crimson Tide don't lose a game this season. There's not a game on the schedule that you think that, that they could struggle in potentially. I mean, Florida will be interesting, but, yeah, I – I mean, I think they could lose to UGA in the SEC title game. I, I think I could see them drop in a random game. Maybe Ole Miss drops 60 on them or something, uh, something weird like that because they don't, like you said, I mean, they're not super experienced. I'll be interested to see what happens, you know, if they get to the playoff uh, and see where that goes because, you know, I always, like, make fun of Oklahoma. I'm tired of seeing Oklahoma in the playoff. Same thing with most of these other teams. They might deserve but it this year. They, I think they're going to deserve it this year. I think they, you know, I could see them beating Alabama this year. I mean, they're going to have Spencer Spencer Radler, I think, is legit and should probably be the number one pick in the draft next year. So that's it's a little more wide open than usual. Last question, too, before we let you get out of here. we got about a minute and a half left. Where do you have Auburn in your ballot? I actually, yeah, I, I had him sixth in the West. I just I have a lot of questions about – you know, new coaching staff, and I, I just I think Arkansas is kind of underrated at this point. I really like Ole Miss. I think I picked Ole Miss third, which is probably pretty unusual compared to where everyone else had them. I wouldn't be shocked if when the ballots are released on Friday or whatever they yeah. are, I would not be shocked if Auburn's fifth. I, I could totally, I could totally I see. see them finishing third in in the West, maybe even second. Um, I could be totally wrong about them. I guess I just have questions. You know, whenever a new staff comes in, you never really know mm-hmm. and could easily be wrong about them. I'd pick them to go like, I don't know, six and six, seven and five probably. Uh, but I can't remember. I would need to go through. I've gone through their schedule like game by game <laughs> at some point, but it was a couple weeks ago. I mean, they have the upside based on how that program recruited in the past. So I could see them winning nine or ten games. It's definitely possible. There's a wide range of results always right, when you're talking right, about right. Auburn. Robbie Wideside at Vandy 24-7. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, Vandy24-7.com. Also, just 247sports.com. Also, uh, check out the Auburn Undercover guys. They do really good work uh, with the Tigers over there. Robbie, it's great to finally meet you, my man. Thanks for having me. That was Robbie Weinstein at Vandy 24-7. We'll be back with more of our special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka, and Kia of Auburn. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Kia of Auburn. Another special guest on the line with us, we got Chris Gordy of Houston Sports Talk 790 and also Locked On SEC Podcast. Chris, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely, guys. What's going on? Well, that's what we want to ask you. Yeah, Alabama Crimson Tide coming to, coming to Hoover today. Typically, they own the area with Alabama fans everywhere, but of yeah. course, relegated to the parking lot. Not too many in the house today. Oh, Nick Saban 
They're here. I mean, they I saw them. Yep. I went out and talked with them, and they started, who's that? Who is that? <laughs> They're just trying to get a peek. They're like, I think I see Saban. I'm like, he's upstairs. He's not even near there. Go away. So, speaking of Nick Saban, and I, and I said this a lot yesterday and talking about Georgia, it seems like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, Alabama, Georgia, they seem to have boring media days. Yeah. They control the message. Even though Alabama has eight new starters on offense, I feel like they, they never really get asked the difficult questions. What was kind of your impressions of Alabama today? Well, where everything just doesn't go Alabama's way, but it feels like every year everything goes Alabama's way. So let me ask you this question. If it doesn't go Alabama's this way, this, or their way this season, does it come from somebody in the SEC West that knocks them off, or does it come in the SEC championship game to an East team, probably Georgia, but I don't want to predict that like officially? Week 6, October 9th, looms large. Alabama goes to Kyle Field. That stadium, I've been in that stadium for a handful of games, particularly some of the Alabama games when Johnny Manziel was there. They get loud. That place gets rocking. They had fans there last year, but obviously it was in limited capacity. They are waiting to explode in College Station. They are excited. Um, I've been there where, I mean, they've got, like, walkways and loops and ramps and all this. And there were fans just standing on the ramps trying to get a peek at the field. Like, that's what it's going to be like on October 9th because I expect the Aggies to be undefeated going into that game. I'm just telling you right now, I mean, look, Haynes King, if he's the guy at A&M, and it sounds like he will be, he's got to settle in. Bryce Young's got to settle in at Alabama. But why are we giving Bryce Young the pass and going, oh, he'll be fine. Oh, but Haynes King, he better live up the hype. Jimbo's track record with quarterbacks has been phenomenal. Say what you want about those guys when they get to the NFL level, but they've all been really good in college, from Christian Ponder to Jameis Winston to even Kellen Mond, you know, was a third-round pick this year, top of the third round. Like, he gets the most out of his quarterbacks. So if Haynes King is the guy and he can get the most out of him, man, he needs to hit the ground running. But if he does, that's the game I circle. If A&M can find a way to upset Alabama, they're in the driver's seat. It buys A&M a loss down the way. Let's say they go lose to LSU the last week of the season. By the way, they have not won in Baton Rouge since they've been in the SEC. They could lose that game, and it doesn't matter. You beat Bama head-to-head, guess what? You're going to Atlanta to represent the SEC. So um, that's the game that looms large in my mind in the SEC. If somebody's going to get past Bama this year, and I don't think it'll be LSU. I think LSU will be fine, but they're not winning in Tuscaloosa. It took Joe Burrow and the greatest college offense ever in the history of college football to get it done, and they still only won by a couple points. I think A&M is the best chance to supersede Alabama this So year. do you have them second in your ballot in the SEC West? I think so. I mean, see, this is where I kind of I'm, I'm torn because it's like by, by one realm I can get excited about A&M and think they break through and beat Alabama. On the other realm I could say the quarterback play stinks. They'll run the ball. They'll beat the Mississippi States and the Arkansas, but still lose to LSU, still lose to Alabama. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride, Texas A&M. And LSU finishes second, and A&M finishes third. I could see that happening as well. But, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm being a little bit more optimistic about the Aggies this year. I like Jimbo. I think they've got a chance, like I said, to beat Alabama and, and get represent the SEC West. A team that you didn't mention, Auburn. Yes. I want to know where your thoughts are on that because it always seems like we were just talking with Robbie Weinstein of Vandy 24-7 and uh, also National Desk for 24-7 Sports. We were saying it always seems like a wide possibility of results for Auburn football. You can see a nine-win Auburn team this year. You can see a six-win Auburn team this year. Yeah, and I think that's we're not going to know until they hit the field. I mean, I, you know, anybody saying they think Brian Harson's not the right guy, they don't know. Anybody saying they love the Brian Harson hire and it's going to work, they don't know. I mean, it's it's literally you could you could argue it from one side to the other until we see them out on the field. 
We have no idea what Brian Harson's Auburn team is going to look like, but I do know this. Bo Nix has got to take that next step this year. We didn't see it last year. Bo Nix was pretty good fresh, you know, as a freshman, all-SEC all freshman. Year two, we don't see that step forward. He was just kind of the same. Year three, he's got to take that leap forward this year. He has to get better. I'll tell you this. T.J. Finley, I watched many of his games in high school. When he has time to throw, he is really good. Problem is the LSU offensive line at times last year did not give him time to throw. You guys saw that firsthand at Auburn. Yep. Mm-hmm. But when he has time to throw, he can be really good. I don't think he's going to press Bo Nix, you know, leading up to camp. I don't think he's going to push him at the start of the season. But I do know if Bo has a game where he throws three interceptions and they can't move the ball, I think T.J. Finley gives them an opportunity to do that. So we'll see what happens from that front. Obviously, you got a great run game. Everybody's all over the Tank Bigsby hype, and I get it. But don't discount Sean Shivers. He's been there for a while. He 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 will get enough carries, six, seven, eight carries, whatever it is, and make the most of those when he gets it. So don't discount him. Um, the defense I'm very intrigued about. I like the secondary. I like the guys you bring back, Roger, Roger McCurry, the, the transfers coming in. Like, I think Auburn's secondary has a chance to be as good as it's been in, in recent years. So up front, we'll see. I mean, I think that's, that's still a big question. But the offense is the issue. Yeah. I mean, if I told you guys right now eight wins for Auburn, would you take that? 100%. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's where I think the optimism lies there. You guys win eight games, you're feeling pretty good about yourself moving forward with Harson. Speaking with Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC Podcast, this Auburn team, uh, obviously you, you just pointed out that nobody knows anything about Brian Harson right now. If people say that it'll work, they don't know. People say that it's not going to work, they don't know. Would you say that this is a pivotal time, like this may be the, the precipice the, the precipice coach in, in Auburn football history at the moment? That's I don't know if I'd put that much pressure on it. I mean, it's, you know, look, Gus – Gus was fine. I mean, you could they could have kept Gus around for another five, six, seven years, and it would have been the roller coaster of the one really awesome year, and then boom, here we come back down the roller coaster and all that. So, you know, you're taking a chance. You're taking a chance saying we can do better. This league is ever-evolving. It's ever-changing. I never thought in my lifetime I would ever see Nick Saban go, yeah, let's go Let's go throw the ball 50 times in a game. Let's go get Lane Kim. I mean, like, I never in my years would have thought we saw that. But we did because these coaches are evolving and the times are changing and all that. So you got to have an offense to win this league. We've, we've seen it. We saw it with Alabama last year with Mac Jones. We saw the year before with Joe Burrow. Got points winning this league. It is not run the ball in defense anymore. That's that's 10, 15 years ago in the SEC. You've got to score points. So Brian Harson is Mike Boba the answer? Eh, not the biggest fan of his, but I do like Derek Mason. Derek Mason as a coordinator, very good. Derek Mason as a head coach, not very good. But I think he's back where he belongs, and I think he's going to be really good and thrive in that spot. Some of the other teams today, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, of course, still coming up. Mississippi State's making their rounds right now. Bulldogs, this is a team that I'm not extremely high up on. I know they bring back a lot of ESPN, FBI picks. This team is an eight-win team. I don't know if I can get there with them, especially with a relatively difficult non-con schedule for Mississippi State standards. I'm curious, what's different about the Mississippi State offense this year than what it was last year, which was really underwhelming? Well, the question is who's going to be the quarterback. And I think we all kind of pin Will Rogers as the guy because – he came on as the year went along last year. But if you watch their spring game, Jack Abraham looked every bit the part of a quarterback that could run the Mike Leach offense. Uh, he comes over from Southern Miss, 
I think he has a ch very good chance to win the starting job. We'll see what happens. Well, Rogers not bad. You can start him and and he'll he'll move the ball. But my biggest problem is they don't run the ball. I mean, and that's just how Mike Leach is. But at times, wherever he's been at Texas Tech, at at Washington State, there's been times where he's run the ball a little bit, at least tried to be a little bit more balanced. But man, these games where. He, <laughs> You look at the box score and you see the quarterback through it 60 times. Like, what are we doing here? This isn't like <laughs> this is the SEC. So, yeah, it, it's going to be uh, the defense is very good. I'll give you that. I mean, they, they they did a really good job. They were an underrated defensive team last year. I think they're going to be very good again on defense. Um, I just have questions about that offense and and consistently being able to move the ball, get first downs, and score points. A team that you didn't talk about whenever you were going through, you know, you think that Texas A&M could potentially knock off Alabama. You didn't, we didn't get the chance to touch on the East. Who do you think comes out of the East, and could they challenge Alabama in the SEC championship game? Yeah, it's it's Georgia, and, and I may even I haven't done my SEC media picks yet, but I I mean I'm probably gonna have Georgia winning the conference just because they're loaded. I love JT Daniels transferring in from USC. I wish we could he would have been healthy and would have started the year last year. Had they been Georgia's postseason fate would have been much better um and nothing against Stetson Bennett he just wasn't the guy but once JT took over we saw it we're like that's the guy they didn't lose a game uh after he took over so you bring back a ton of the defense you got weapons all over the offense the backfield is loaded good offensive line a great defensive line Georgia is my pick to win the SEC East however Kentucky is going to be a problem for some teams. I don't think they're going to win the SECs, but they're going to win a game or two this year that they're not supposed to, and that's because they're bringing Liam Cohen in to run the offense. Kentucky's had the good defenses. They've had the good run game. They have not had good quarterback play. Liam Cohen is coming in there. They got a guy named Will Levis transferring in from Penn State. I think he's going to win the starting job over Joe, Joey Gatewood, who you guys know very well. But I think, uh, I think – Kentucky has a chance to upset some teams. And I'm not going to discount Florida. I think Emory Jones has a chance. He's not going to throw for the yards Kyle Trask did, but he's got the mobile aspect to his game. Emory Jones may be a more dynamic playmaker than Kyle Trask. And that sounds like a hot take, but it's not. Like He may <laughs> yeah. run the Dan Mullen offense better because remember what Tim Tebow ran with the running ability and all that. He may run the Dan Mullen offense better than what Kyle Trask did. Chris? We appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your great podcast. Yeah, LockedOnSEC.com is the website. we got uh, tons of different SEC players coming on over this uh, this week at SEC Media Days. And, of course, we'll uh, we'll have some other players leading up to the season. And I'm bullish on the Auburn Tigers. I'm hoping Brian Harson works for you guys. Chris, we appreciate it, my man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That was Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC here on the line with us. We'll be back to wrap up hour number one when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067, Fox Sports Central, Alabama as well. Day three of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic. Redmond Vodka and Kia of Auburn, our special coverage here on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central. Alabama last segment here of hour number one if you want to squeeze in a phone call 334-321-1390 our text line as well 334-564-1840 if you don't have those numbers punched into your phone if that's not a contact in your phone you are not doing it right put it in and then text us call us anytime we are on the line we'd love to speak to you 
Haven't gotten to talk a whole lot about the Alabama Crimson Tide. We've had Robbie Weinstein of Andy 24-7 and the National Desk as well. He writes a lot about national college football and national collegiate athletics as well. Got a lot of insights there from from Mr. Weinstein about the Vanderbilt Commodores, but also Derek Mason coming to Auburn, as well as Donovan Kaufman. And he had a lot of great info on Donovan Kaufman. So if you missed any of that, you better go and find our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. That's where you can find that conversation. We just got finished talking with Chris Gordy out of Houston Sports Talk 790, as well as the Locked On SEC podcast. He gave us a lot of great insights as well across the league and on the Auburn Tigers. One thing is for sure, and stuff that we have talked about, different people, there's a wide range of possibilities for the Auburn Tigers when it comes to when that ballot is released on Friday. Yeah, I, I've heard so many different opinions about where they believe they're going to place Auburn. I've heard people say they're going to put them second. They're going to put them third. They're going to put them fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. I've heard. I've not heard anybody say that they're going to pick them outright to win the win the West. But I've you heard, heard seventh. I've heard. Yeah. Well, not not here specifically today, but I've heard from. Di- I've seen from different media outlets. I actually don't know if they are here today. They might be, but they said that they would they would pick Auburn to uh, finish last in the SEC. Absurd. It, absurd. Absolutely. Absolutely ridiculous, but yeah, like uh, like Chris Gordy said, he's bullish on the Auburn Tigers, and yeah, that's just kind of the way it is being an Auburn fan, man. Every single season you walk into it, you have no idea what to expect, even though you may think that you know we've got this quarterback here, we've got this defense there. It's like you never know what's going to happen. Auburn may uh, overachieve, and it may be the, the the most incredible season ever, or Auburn may uh, go six and six and and take it to the Birmingham Bowl game, uh, and and uh, you know. That's just the way it is with Auburn. But, yeah, a lot of wide variety there in terms of predictions. Going back to a question that I asked Chris Gordy, and maybe it was a little dramatic, but I want to ask you this too. I said, and I think he makes a great point, people that think that Brian Harson is going to be great, they don't know. People that think he's going to be bad, they don't know. People that think he's going to be average or Gus Malzahn, they don't know. Nobody knows anything about this. And Brian Harson's coming from places unknown. I'm curious, though, do you think this hire, maybe a better way for me to put it, less dramatic way for me to put it than saying the precipice, but do you think that this hire right here, pivotal time in Auburn Athletics? So I don't want to be too dramatic, but I will say a couple of things. Right now, as of right now, and there is so much time to, to make it up and to change the scenery, right now Auburn is last in recruiting rankings in the SEC. They are bringing in a new coaching staff. They are trying to work it out with a third-year quarterback that just quite hasn't gotten there yet. Scheme changes on both sides Scheme of the ball. Changes Last on time both we sides. saw that was 2012. Exactly. So I'm not saying anything is going to happen. I'm just saying Auburn right now needs to really start to pick it up in a lot of different areas if they want to go out there and compete in the SEC West and get past where Gus Malzahn was. I'm not saying anything's going to happen, but I'm 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 very – I'm concerned that if this is the hire that is going to, to to be pivotal dramatically in one way or the other, if it goes bad, this could take Auburn down a path that they don't want to go. At the same time, this coaching staff may elevate Auburn to where they've wanted to be for the past four or five years consistently, which is competing for that SEC West title and competing to get to the college football playoff. So I, I think that I think it is a very interesting hire. I wouldn't say it's as dramatic as as we were talking with with Gordy earlier, but I, I certainly believe it is pivotal because right now you are seeing things that we have not seen before with the Tigers in terms of recruiting scheme, all that different stuff. You kind of get the vibe that it could go one of two directions. And 
really well or really poorly. Now, of course, there is somewhere in between. You could be right back where you've been with Gus Malzahn every year, four or five losses every season, but it definitely feels like a pivotal moment in college football. And something that I wonder about, you know, if Auburn does kind of finish that middle of the pack team, you know, they're right there underneath Alabama. They beat LSU every other year. They beat A&M. They, they, they go back and forth with Georgia, but it's never what Auburn fans really want. They don't really exactly get over the hump. I'm wondering if that's more attributed to the fact that Georgia and Alabama just kind of have a hold on the SEC right now, and Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are going to continue, not necessarily their reign, but they're going to continue to compete just simply better than, than Auburn could if they were there and and something that I wonder about is if Brian Harson can you know maybe outlast not necessarily outlast but Nick Saban I, I, if 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 Harson can stick it out for four or five years and Saban retires and we have seen promise from Harson we've seen a nine ten eleven win season somewhere between that time and they've maybe been able to beat the tide once I could see this this playing out really really well for Auburn in the future. Nick Saban was at the main podium first today. He talked about college football going back to normal and having fans back among a lot of other things. Nick Saban, honestly, it never feels like Alabama and Georgia Day. It never feels like they really get tough questions. But let's take a listen to Nick Saban talking about college football going back to normal. We're looking forward to fans being able to come back to games. Uh, I think if there was one thing uh, that our players that went out early for the draft last year, you know, all said to me with very, very sad eyes is, you know, I just hate it that my last year that I played college football, we didn't have fans. And I think that's how important, you know, fans are to players, to the game. Uh, and I certainly thank you for, you know, promoting, you know, our game, promoting the players, creating interest, you know, for our game so that there are fans and there is excitement. and. Uh, it is something that reinforces the players in a positive way for all the hard work that they do uh, to be able to play and participate in a game that they love. So, That was Nick Saban at the main podium earlier today. And if you like that soundbite, we got a lot of other soundbites coming up in hour number two. We'll also get you some of our pre-recorded interviews that we grabbed today. We got a couple of minutes of Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, on the line with us coming up at 3 p.m. to talk about Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, the main teams here in our local sphere, as well as we've got Chris Stewart of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. We'll talk Alabama with us at length in our number two. Couldn't agree with Nick Saban more there. I understand it, it, it was definitely a, a depressing year to not have fans in college football. And I cannot wait to get them back this season. Hour number two coming up at 3 p.m. We'll be back in just a few moments. Day three of special coverage here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Kia Auburn. On the line. 
Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two here on On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Day three of our special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic with locations in Auburn and Opelika. Redmond Vodka distilled right here in Birmingham at Kia of Auburn where you're always number one. Some news that we just saw on our timeline. And this is very interesting, very interesting. A Houston Chronicle article. Title of it, exclusive, Texas, Oklahoma, reach out to SEC about joining conference. Oh, buddy, things are about to get real interesting. If there is any legitimacy to that, things are about to get really interesting up in the SEC. Dennis Dodd at Dennis Dodd CBS had a tweet recently, this as soon as 2.50 p.m., so 11 minutes ago. Greg Sankey, quote, no comment on that speculation regarding Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. He, he literally said no comment. I mean, hey, it just means more, baby. 16 teams, let's form the power conference, let's get it going. And at that point, you know, honestly, it'd be really hard to say that the national champion uh, comes anywhere from the SEC if we're talking about a 16-team power conference or are we talking about kicking two SEC teams that are currently in the conference out and bringing those guys in. Uh, do you think that potentially, you know, this is just pure speculation considering we literally just saw this, but do you think that they would try and bring both of those teams on at once or do you think they would would bring just choose one of those teams I between Texas and Oklahoma. I think they want to bring both of them. Right. Which this excites me for a couple of reasons, scares me for a couple of reasons. Excites me considering we could get Texas, Texas A&M back. Also, you hold on to the Texas-Oklahoma rivalry, right. the Red River shootout with those two teams coming to the SEC. You don't want to get one or the other. Disappointing because I now am concerned about Bedlam, which, of course, you still see interconference rivalries, Georgia-Georgia Tech. You also see Clemson-South Carolina. But we did lose Texas-Texas A&M when A&M came to the SEC, which was, which was sad in itself. I think we're doing just fine, but I would like to see that rivalry again. Well, well you think about it, if they're going to lose Bedlam, which is Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, right, if they're going to lose that, they could do what Georgia does, where they play Georgia Tech every yeah. single year at the end of the season. They could just play uh, towards the end of the season – Oklahoma could if they wanted to. So there's definitely an opportunity there. My thing is, doesn't Fox do a lot of the broadcast for the Big 12? Wouldn't they have to get some TV deals situated out uh, before they let Texas or Oklahoma join the conference? That I don't know the answer to. I believe in the Houston Chronicle article, it says that the Big 12's TV contract with ESPN and Fox expires in 2025. So you still have a couple of still got a couple of years on that. Brent Zwarneman. The staff writer for the Houston Chronicle is the one who wrote that article. So uh, you can go check it out if you want to read up on it, HoustonChronicle.com. Exclusive Texas, Oklahoma. Reach out to SEC 
about joining conference. Day three of media days, and now you start to see this. And, of course, the commissioner is going to say no comment. I don't want to read too far into that, but kind of sometimes when someone says no comment and doesn't unequivocally deny something, yeah. that kind of sounds like I saw a comment underneath the Dennis Dodd tweet that said it means negotiations, right? Now, yeah, I, don't have any, I don't have any inside info on that, but it, that, that is the vibe that I get as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I feel like in the past, whenever Greg Sankey's been asked about stuff, he's, he's normally either given a yes or no answer to it. I, and for him to just say, yeah, no comment on that, it makes me feel, I'm not saying that it's happening, but it makes me feel like there's definitely some interesting discussions going on behind the scenes that we just don't know about. So, yeah, it's exciting. For me personally, as an SEC fan and as an Auburn fan, I'd like to have Texas and Oklahoma come join the conference. That would be a lot of fun. Now, the question is, if we're, if we're not going to form a super conference, which I feel like is either a little bit unfair or just not realistic, who are the two teams that we would kick out of the SEC? There are a lot of things that we would have to do in order to get to that point. It's very similar to what we were saying about the college football playoff expansion just a couple of years ago. It's like, well, there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen in order for us to actually make it happen. Look at us now. We're probably about to get an expansion for the college football playoff. So who knows? We may see something like that happen down the line. We may see some conference expansion, some shuffling of the pieces. We may see Missouri go back to the Big 12. That would be interesting as well. So, yeah, a lot of moving and shaking parts, I believe, behind the scenes. Nothing, nothing determined yet. Again, we just saw this. Some things that maybe concern you about it. League just got a lot tougher. Yeah, if, they, if recruiting becomes even more important. Yeah, if Texas and Oklahoma join, like I said, it, it, it's almost guaranteed that the that the national champions coming from the SEC. And you may say, well, what Texas hasn't been that great. Oklahoma hasn't been that great. Yeah, but they're stepping into an SEC atmosphere where you can now say, yeah, we're an SEC program. Come play for us. And here are the reasons why we've been really good in the past. We're gonna we're gonna be really good in the future. I think it's a great opportunity for those two schools to kind of kind of bolster their recruiting just a little bit. I don't think it helps a ton, but you know. Uh, it, it definitely makes the league a little bit more competitive for teams like Auburn and Brian Harson, who are at our crossroads right now. Um, obviously, they're just talking about this now, so we wouldn't expect it to go into place for at least another two or three years. But uh, it, it would it would be definitely a challenge for some of these middle of the pack teams, and uh, it it would be interesting to see if they did add these two teams how they would do the East and the West structure. That would be something interesting to see as well if they if they move some things around. Wonder if that means Auburn to the East. Might be, it might be, might be. Of course, uh, of course. Then it would change Alabama to an. Uh, it would be an interdivisional rivalry, and then that would kind of that would that would make scheduling. And it, well, they'll figure it out. They would figure it out. Nightmare for SEC championships. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that. It would be a gauntlet, and it, it's a gauntlet now. The Southeastern Conference for a team that wants to get to a top that's sitting there in the middle of the pack. It is a gauntlet. Well, there's a couple things that I think would happen here. A, all the money will have left the Big 12 at that point. Yep. Who's your best team in the Big 12 if Texas and Oklahoma leave? Iowa State? Ooh, Matt like Campbell minus, reigns supreme. <laughs> listen, just minus Texas and Oklahoma this year out of the Big 12. Who's the best team in the Big 12? It's either Iowa State or TCU and, or, or Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State and but, even, like, I think most people would say Iowa State. Okay, but, but in this scenario, I feel like they would – Missouri would move back to the Big 12, right? No, I don't think so. I think you'd have a 16-team conference. 16-team super conference. It – Okay. All right. I would love to see it. I'd love to see it. I just feel like the, the Big 12 would not want to sit there with eight teams after going from 12 to, to 10 to 8. It's like you're, you're just the Big 8 now, bro. They'd have, to they'd have to change everything. They would no longer be – okay, if that happened and they were just those eight, those eight teams, like if the AAC is making a push like they are right now, if they're going to continue to do that down the line, 
we may see either a Power Six or the Big 12 almost fall out of the Power Five because at that point there would be just as many contenders in the AAC. And I know that sounds weird to say, but so it, a lot of moving and shaking that could happen in the future after seeing this breaking news. And I think some folks out there would agree with what I'm about to say here, but I, I think you see some teams in the SEC get worse because of this, relegated to a middle-of-the-pack SEC, and I think that you see some Big 12 teams get better. Not necessarily more likely of a championship contender. They may fall off the face of the college football planet, right? Like they may fall off of college football earth because the competition has left the league. It could become like an AAC where you have a really good team, but they're almost viewed as a group of five school at that point, right? Because all of the meat of the league left and went to the SEC. But at what point does all of – what? at what point is there a diminishing return on adding better schools to the Southeastern Conference? Is that, Can you have too much competition? I think you can. I think you can if you're if you're going 16 or 18. That's why I'm saying in my mind it would it would be a lot more fun and be a lot more fair if we if we took two teams out of the SEC. Of course, then if you're taking two teams out, if you're taking out a team like Missouri and then maybe another an, another squad, man, that'd be so weird. Well, you couldn't take Texas A&M at that point. Who would if they if they were to take two teams out? Who would be the other school outside of Missouri? I, I don't think that they will. And I want to break this down from an economic standpoint. You want the TV markets. You want right. Nashville, which, of course, you've already kind of got that even if you don't have Vanderbilt and you've got Tennessee because is, is Vanderbilt ever really the home team, right? We joke about that a lot of times. But I still say you, you, you probably have Nashville even if Vanderbilt's not in your league. But you want Nashville with Vanderbilt. You want St. Louis with Missouri. You want those types of TV markets. And, and that's the heart of what you're getting at right here is bringing in and Austin, you're, you're, you're sucking in more of the state of Texas because Texas is the team in the state of Texas. Of course, there is competition to them, but I would say that that's the most popular brand in the state of Texas and one of the most popular brands in all of college football. And Oklahoma's right there with them, a state north. These are major markets to be bringing into the Southeastern Conference. I don't think you want to drop what you have. It's about adding to the empire. Yeah, I, I think it would be – I think it would be – really really powerful i wouldn't say it's a monopoly on the market because obviously you have your ohio states and your clemson's in the acc and the big 10 respectively but i mean it'd be it'd be a, a it would make the firm grip that the sec has on the college football world stronger it's like i just i have a hard time believing that that more teams would leave which leads me to what happens to these teams in the middle of the pack. How do they stay afloat? How do they continue to compete for championships now when more competitors have entered your league that are going to be fighting for your recruits? It's, that's the stuff that I said concerned me. Now, the stuff that excites me is like, oh, yeah, it'd be fun. You get to see Oklahoma, Alabama. You get to see Oklahoma, Florida. You get to see Texas, Alabama, Texas, Florida, Texas, Auburn, Oklahoma, Auburn. You get to see all these cool matchups that we might have only gotten to see in bowl season, but terrifying from a competition standpoint. Not saying that I don't like to compete, but I do think at some point the law of diminishing returns comes into effect when you've added too much competition into your league. I think it would be interesting though you talk about these middle of the, the pack teams like okay let's let's let texas a&m play texas and oklahoma let's let lsu play texas and oklahoma let's let auburn play texas and oklahoma florida like you mentioned all these different matchups man oh man think about the tv revenue that you'd be getting think about the revenue that you'd be getting from actually going in person to the games of course prices would probably skyrocket but that it would it would be so fun it'd be a lot of competition like you said i'm not afraid of competition but i think at some point it does get a little too overblown 
we talked with Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart, earlier today. And it was a great conversation. Spoke with him about his opinions about Auburn. We spoke with him about his opinions about Alabama and Georgia. We'll get to that in just a moment. But now we've got a caller on the line with us. 334-321-1390 is how you can call into On the Line. Text line at 334-564-1840. Matt is on the line with us. Matt, how you doing today, my man? Good, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, we we got you. You got us? Yes, sir. Um, so I called on the drive yesterday, and I was curious on what you guys thought about this, but the last time an Auburn receiver was drafted in the first round was Chris Woods in the mid-'80s to beat Los Angeles Raiders. And I was curious if that, if you think that has an impact on Auburn's success on offense and uh, or lack of success on offense, but having like, recruiting and having – because, like, if I'm a receiver – the schools that have consistently produced talent are LSU, Alabama, and Georgia, and Clemson. And I'm not really looking at Auburn because they haven't had a receiver in a, in a while, a long time that's really successful in the league. You know, and I think that's a great question. I'll say this. Malzahn has recruited wide receiver. He recruited wide receiver really well. There were some high-profile names that came through. Eli Stove was a highly touted recruit. You also talk about Nate Craig Myers, highly touted recruits. Now, did Nate Craig Myers finish at Auburn? No. Auburn recruited receivers pretty well. I'm trying to remember the last time or if there's ever been a time, which I know the answer to this question. This is a rhetorical question. There's never been a time where Auburn has focused on throwing the football. Auburn's always been a run-first team. I remember that Gus Malzahn, his his thing that he said when he came into the program and really that he held on to his entire tenure was we're going to be fast and we're going to be physical. He always wanted to establish the run. You think about the coaches before him, Gene Chizik as well. That was never predicated on throwing the football. You go to before him, Tommy Tuberville, that was all about running the ball. Think about the great running backs that came through then. It's never been about throwing the football at Auburn, and that maybe has a big part to do with Auburn getting those guys drafted in the league because I'm with you. You go back and you look through it. Sammy Coates is like one of the highest drafted guys that you've seen come through Auburn at this point, and that's a third rounder. You see, you see guys like Anthony Schwartz get drafted in the third round. You're like, oh, this is a good year for the receivers. Do I think it affects Auburn on the recruiting trail? Probably a little bit, but it hasn't hurt them in terms of star rankings the last couple of recruiting classes or the last receiver classes that have come through. So I, I think that, that it's kind of it's it's a double-edged sword. And see, my thing is like I. I agree with you man like we haven't seen this coaching staff really recruit uh, a whole lot yet and we'll just have to see whether or not you know that could potentially be a turnoff for recruits under this new coaching staff but I will say this about Malzahn and this is from a 24-7 sports article only Georgia signed more four-star and five-star wide receivers than Auburn from 2016 to 2020 with 15 Alabama and Auburn are tied with 12 each followed by LSU and A&M so Malzahn was recruiting wide receivers well he just wasn't putting them in the league but I will say this: I agree. Uh, I agree with Matt. It could potentially be a turnoff uh, for for potential receivers trying to uh, come to the Tigers under this new coaching staff because we just don't know how they re- they recruit. We don't know if uh, if uh, they'll be able to recruit at the level that Malzahn was. Matt, we appreciate you calling in, my man. The number to call: three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Text line at three three four five six four one eight four zero. We appreciate the phone call. Also, know that he had. Uh, he had another part to his question that I want to answer as well. He, he said, do we think that that's had an effect on the offense? That I will 100% agree on. Auburn's inability to consistently pass the football and, and to get these receivers open, whether that's scheme, whether that's been personnel 
that that is hard to point out. I think a lot of it has been scheme, at least under Malzahn, because you hear about these receivers when they go to the league. You hear about what these GMs say about Auburn's offense. Under Malzahn, that was the issue. And it, hurt, it, and it hurt Auburn. Auburn's inability to engineer a passing game consistently, that's why Malzahn is no longer the head coach of, uh, at Auburn. Let's just be real, because that hurt the offense, and the offense is the one thing that you consistently point to with this Auburn football team. That's why they never achieved the goals that they set out in front of them. You can point to every single year except for 2014, and the issue would have been the offense, not the, not the defense. 2014, it was the defense. But every other year, it was the offense. Starting 2015 on, offense was a major issue for Auburn when it mattered. And that's why Auburn had a hard time beating the good team. So I, I, I do agree with them on that. Receiver play, now that's a factor of scheme for me. At least that, that that's where I'm attributing a lot of Auburn's failures. But I, I, I do agree with that. I think that did have a major hindrance on, on Auburn's offense. Yeah, and you're talking about scheme. The article that I was pulling from was an article by Stuart Carter. It's a 27, uh, 24-7 sports article. It's Stat Tiger. Harson staff needs to improve Auburn's vertical passing game. Some fantastic numbers in this uh, in this article if y'all want to go check it out. Again, Stuart Carter of 247sports.com. Harson staff needing to improve Auburn's vertical passing game. A fantastic article if you want to look at what Auburn's not been able to do well uh, with the receivers uh, schematically over the past few seasons. We got a text as well on our text line, 334-564-1840. Who's this from, Lance? Do we know? It's from Mitch. All right, Mitch says he would rather see NC State and Virginia Tech in the SEC, not Texas and Oklahoma. And I would assume, and he didn't, he didn't provide a whole lot of context, at least reasoning behind it, I would assume that has a lot to do with competition. Yeah. You probably don't want to deal with, with the major beef that's entering the league in Oklahoma, Texas. And, and that's not even just competition on the football field. The matchups are fun to watch, right? It's also competition off the football field because now these, these schools enter your recruiting sphere in a much more major way. Yeah, I think it would definitely be, as far as competition goes, a lot easier for the rest of the teams in the SEC to, to compete with them, not just on the field, but off the field as well. But I would not be mad personally at seeing an NC State program come into the SEC, not because of like, yeah, we can whip up on them, but I think it would be fun. I think it would be fun. I think it's a good program. Virginia Tech also would be an inter interesting program. They're not as good as they were under Frank Beamer. Obviously, he's gone now, but you know they definitely are one of the better schools in all of college football. So I would not be mad at both of those teams joining the SEC, but again, I would really like to see a team like Texas or Oklahoma come in simply because of the matchups that we would be able to see week in and week out. It would be fantastic television. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we take a listen to that pre-recorded conversation we had with Tony Barnhart. We'll take a look at that when we come back. You're listening to On the Line special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka at Keough of Auburn. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line 334-564-1840. Special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Kia of Auburn. We're going to take a listen to a conversation that we had with Tony Barnhart in just a moment. But first, I want to preview that conversation here. Talked a little bit about Auburn. He's a little bit down on Auburn as well. I think he's got Auburn as fifth in the SEC. You also talk about can Georgia overtake Alabama. A lot of great insights there from Tony Barnhart. Let's take a listen to that conversation now here on On the Line. Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart himself here with us on the line. Tony, appreciate you taking this time with us. Sure, good to be with you. 
We do an Auburn show here out of Auburn, and I'm just curious. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that see maybe Ole Miss could pull vault to Auburn. Auburn possibly plummeting here with first-year head coach Brian Hartson. What are your take on the Tigers as they get set to come into Hoover tomorrow? Well, right now, right now I've got Auburn finishing fifth in the, in the division. I've, I've got uh, Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU, and Ole Miss ahead of them. But there's, there's some buts when you're talking about uh, Auburn. Can uh, can Brian Harson and Mike Bobo turn Bo Nix into a consistent SEC quarterback? He's a talented SEC quarterback now, but can he be more consistent, particularly when they go on the road? If they can, then you got to rethink things at Auburn. One thing that Brian Harson did that impressed me, I, I mean, I, first of all, I like the hire, but what they did was uh, he goes out and he hires Mike Bobo, he hires Derek Mason, guys with who have been in this league, who understand the culture of the league, how hard it is to win, what do you got to do to win, and also that, that recruiting is hand-to-hand combat in this league. They understand that. So I, 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 I like the long-term future under Brian Hurst. Looking at day three of SEC Media Days, Alabama's the headliner. Of course, everybody wants to talk about eight new starters on the offensive side of the ball, but that never seems to matter. For folks out there saying that maybe Alabama couldn't win a national championship this year, what do you have to say to them? Here's, here's the thing is that, in my mind, there is simply no way that Alabama can be as good this year as they were last year. With everything that they, you know, 10 NFL draft choices, six in the first round, Heisman Trophy winner, first-round quarterback, first-round running back, best offensive line in the country. But having said that, you can look at Alabama and, and who they got coming back, and they could they could be not as good as they were a year ago and still win every single game they play. And that's what's so frustrating for people who play Alabama is that is that they're going to take a step down from what they were, but where they are now, even taking a step down, they're still better than everybody else. That's crazy, but that's the reality of Alabama. Talk about the team across from them in the SEC East, Georgia. Seems like every year we say, if Georgia doesn't do it this year, they're never going to do it. I know. Is this year any different? Well, this in the, in the fact that the fans, that's what they say, it's no different. But Georgia's a really good football team. They are talented enough to win every single game they play. And we'll see. They open up with Clemson. That'll tell us a lot. But Georgia's, Georgia is a team that's good enough to win the national championship. Now, will they? I don't know. But I promise you this. If they don't, you, you and I will be standing right here this time next year talking about Georgia being in the hunt for the national championship. Tony, we're going to let you get out of here. Appreciate it. Okay. Good to see you. Tony Barnhart there, Mr. College Football, on the line with us. Lance, takeaways from his conversation. Well, I'm I, like he said about Auburn, you know, finishing fifth in the West, you know, it's a, it's a very reasonable take. If I'm not an Auburn fan and I'm not looking through it, through the uh, looking at the schedule through orange and blue glasses, you know, I would probably say it's fair to put Auburn fifth in the, in, in the West. If I'm another SEC fan, you know, you're looking at this program, bringing in a new coaching staff, you know, you've got a third-year quarterback that definitely hasn't worked out the kinks yet, didn't take a step in year two and we're going to need to see him take that step in year three but we don't know if he's going to be able to take it you know I would have my reservations if I were another if I were a fan of another SEC school you know I agree with him there but at the same time you know Auburn is one of those teams where it's just been an it's been an emotional roller coaster as a fan to watch this team go up and down and up and down and up and down you never know where you're when they're going to hit that up streak you never know when they're going to go and come out of nowhere and win 10 or 11 games or or win the SEC and and you know you just always have to be on your toes whenever you're talking about the Tigers, but they've got they've got a really talented running back. 
in the backfield. And this is something that we talked about with Marcelo yesterday. They've got an exceptional running back in Tank Bigsby in the backfield, and he will be able to do some incredible things for him. So if Nick figures this out, the offense is going to be clicking. This defense is going to be interesting. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with what I understand with what he's saying about putting Auburn fifth in the, in the West. But at the same time, as an Auburn fan, I've got a little bit more optimism. Switching gears here back to the Alabama Crimson Tide. A lot was made yesterday and then today about Bryce Young and nearing seven figures with his NIL deals and endorsement money. Nick Saban was asked about how Bryce Young's NIL deals affects the team because that, for some reason, is a common concern for folks out there. So let's take a, let's take a listen to what Nick Saban had to say in response to that. Well, I think, first of all, what I said before is anything that I say now, because there's no precedent for it, uh, you don't really know how it's going to affect things. Um, players have always been able to work and earn money. Uh, that's something that you could do 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's something I did when I was a player. Um, the college landscape changed to some degree when uh, players got cost of attendance. Uh, we made rules that allowed them to go to summer school on scholarship, which we didn't used to have. So most players with this additional money and the opportunity to advance their academic circumstance uh, chose not to work. So all we've done is create an opportunity for players to work. Uh, the only thing is, the question is, is because it's not going to be equal and everything that we've done in college athletics in the past has always been equal. Everybody's had uh, equal scholarship, equal um, opportunity. Uh, now that's probably not going to be this case. You know, some positions, some players uh, will have more opportunities than others. And how that's going to impact uh, your team, our team, uh, the players on the team, uh, I really, you know, can't answer because we don't have any precedent for it. Uh, I know that we're doing the best we can to try to get our players to understand the circumstance they're in, the opportunity they have, and how those opportunities are not going to be equal for everybody. And it'll be important for our team's success that people are not looking over their shoulder at what somebody else does or doesn't, doesn't do. So, um, but any other comments that I would make about this with no precedent, no experience would um, probably a year from now not be looked on or viewed on as very smart. That was Nick Saban there. We got to take a quick break here on On the Line. When we come back, we've got an interview with Chris Stewart of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. You're listening to On the Line's coverage here at SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, a Kia of Auburn. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Kia of Auburn. Earlier today, I caught up with Chris Stewart, play-by-play -play man on the Crimson Tide Sports Network, to preview a bit of what happened today with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Take it over, Hoover. Let's take a listen to that conversation. Noah Gardner on the line with Crimson Tide Sports Network play-by-play -play commentator Chris Stewart. Chris, I appreciate you taking the time to stop by and talk with us on our show today. Yeah, no, it's I'm glad to do it. It's, it's always good to talk with you and, and see you. And I tell you, I, as we were talking off air, it's kind of flashbacks for me because I got started 
uh, at the age of 20. I know that's younger than you are now, but I was I was a young guy once, and Media Days was a lot of fun for me. I was an intern with a TV station, but was also working for a little AM radio station that nobody literally could hear. I mean, if we wanted to boost the signal strength, all we did was open the front door and turn up the speakers. People driving by on the road could hear us. That was about the only way they could pick it up. But it was great for me and some relationships that I made back then were relationships that I've, I've carried through today or carried through the years. One of the coolest things ever was getting to meet Jim Fife the first year, and Jim was so kind to me. Um, just thankful that, that I had those opportunities over the years. And, and again, you're, you're older than I was then, but I know it, it's still at the stage of your career where it's cool, and I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're getting the opportunity as well. Day three of SEC Media Days, your Alabama Crimson Tide here taking the podium. What kind of things have you seen today, a theme for the Alabama Crimson Tide as they take Hoover? You know, I think is making sure, as it always is with Nick Saban, taking, sure, taking care of business day after day, play after play, not looking ahead and not getting caught up in the noise of trying to repeat as national champions. And on the flip side, when the conversation goes to the fact that they've lost as much as they have, don't get wrapped up in the negativity that can come with that of you can't win it all uh, just because you've lost a phenomenal historic senior class or class of players, be they underclassmen or seniors, that have moved on to the next level. It's it's tough to replicate, but you don't have to repeat. It's a new season. It's a new opportunity. And taking care of business day in and day out is what they're trying to lock in and do. What kind of things have you perceived from the Alabama program in that, yes, folks, many years, and I think the last time we saw Alabama lose this much talent was going into the 2016 season, but they still went on and got back into a college football playoff and competed, if not won, a national championship that year. Alabama does this year in and year out. It doesn't matter how much that they lose. What kind of things have you perceived that this machine has been able to go on for so long? Well, it obviously starts with a legendary head coach and his ability to adapt and adjust, whether that means assistant coaches moving on to other programs or other opportunities, uh, players leaving school early to start their professional careers, injuries that occur to key players in the midst of a season and the, the adaptation and adjustment that that brings uh, rules changes that occur that alter the game dramatically from what it was when he first came into this league or even when he first came to the University of Alabama. His ability to adapt and adjust to what is before him without changing who he is and what his core beliefs are, to me, are one of the most amazing things. And it's what has allowed him to be so incredible. You know, it's there's the natural comparison to him and to Coach Bryant. And you look at the amazing 25-year career that that Paul Bryant had at the University of Alabama and the six national titles and the adjustments that he made. But there were some some dips in between. There were some years uh, where, not many, but maybe a year or two where they had to reinvent themselves and were able to do so and move on and have another great stretch, another great era, another championship time in the life of the program. For Nick Saban to to change a tire while the car's still moving 
is to me the most amazing thing because he's he's gone from being very much an advocate against hurry up no huddle to um, hold my beer I'm going to do it better than everybody else if that's what we're going to continue to allow in the game itself so his adjustment to major major things uh, in recruiting in style of play the rules themselves those are elements that have allowed him to be so successful and to be relevant and where the conversation starts year in and year out when it comes to talking about championships within the league and Ashley. In his opening statement today, he had some really refreshing comments saying that, you know, there hasn't been a precedent set yet for the NIL, and he didn't really want to make comments about it considering anything that you say now, a year from now, considering there are unintended consequences, positive and negative, you, you, you don't know how what you said this year could be taken a year from now. That's really impressive to me, and I want to, I want to know what your thoughts are on how Alabama's been approaching the name-image-likeness debate in college football. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. I was sent a script a few months ago that I was, I was told very, very, hey, we need this for the, the athletic department. We need one for football and one for athletics. Here's two different scripts. And I really didn't know what they were. And, you know, I read what I was asked to read, and it was talking about the Alabama advantage. And I was told briefly, you know, this, is, this has to do with NIL, but I really didn't know what it was. Well, then this video rolls out with, with me having voiced it and realized, holy cow, this is something that's being used in recruiting now. And it's talking about the Alabama advantage, the advantage of being tied to the Alabama brand and what that can mean to you individually as a student athlete, but what you can mean to the brand of Alabama by being connected there. So it's just amazing to me how wise he is in in ahead of the curve in dealing with issues like this. And it's not just him, it's the athletic department with Greg Byrne as the AD and and people that they have working underneath them. Their ability to be proactive on so many things continues to blow my mind, and that's, that's why they're in the position that they're in right now talking about the job that you do and play-by-play and things returning to normal this year. I I hate to talk about COVID considering it's talked about so much, but for you and getting to see Alabama make the run that they did in the NCAA tournament and now us flipping a script to a new academic and athletic year, how excited are you to get back into full stadiums? Extremely, and I was so grateful that for the postseason last year with basketball and for all of baseball, it was able to be a semi-normal situation. We didn't have the full access, you know, down on the field, hanging around the cage before BP, you know, during BP and before a ball game. On the baseball side of things, uh, not traveling directly with the team itself, but still being able to go on the road and experience the ball games. Um, for basketball, it really, really stung to not be able to have a full crowd for what was a historic championship basketball season because I know how great it would have been. I know how the crowds would have been extraordinary at Coleman Coliseum night in and night out with Alabama basketball uh, 
having the year that they were having. But you weren't able to have that. We adjusted. We adapted. But there's still excitement. There's still expectation. And it's just as high for this basketball team as it was last year. So I'm thrilled that we can have full stadiums for the Iron Bowl for the third Saturday in October for potentially a non-conference game that a lot of people may not in the past have been all that fired up about, but because we can be back again and they weren't allowed there the last year, they're going to want to be there this year. Uh, it Game days, regardless of the sport, mean so much to so many people to be a distraction from the pressures of everyday living or in the case of many people, whether they work in a concession stand, sell programs or whatever, it's their livelihood. It's important. It's needed. And the fact that we've got all of that back once again is extremely important and very grateful that it appears as we sit here now in July that we're going to have that back once again. Chris, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today on the show. Thank you very much. Glad to do it. No, always good to see you. That was Chris Stewart of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Always great to talk with Chris Stewart of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Literally one of the nicest people you will meet out here at SEC Media Days. Yeah, it was a fantastic interview there with Chris Stewart, and I really liked what he had to say there uh, towards the end about you know getting some fans back into Coleman Coliseum and a Bryant Denny Stadium. You know, it just I, I really like it whenever somebody somebody that I that I that I respect and I appreciate uh, what he brings to the game. I really like it whenever they're talking about just the excitement of being able to 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 get back together and to and you know this year for Alabama basketball. I know I'm an Auburn fan, but I can definitely resonate with saying you know the fans are going to want to be here the fans are going to want to see this it's something special and it's really exciting to be able to get that back this season and it's just awesome to hear somebody else say it that I that I uh, that I respect he also talked a bit about NIL with us and I think that that's also very valid considering pretty much every player has been asked about the NIL up to this point and Alabama was asked some questions about locker rooms and how to balance that is there any type of jealousy when you see a guy like Bryce Young nearing seven figures we talked about Nick Saban's response to that earlier now Findarian Mathis also known as Phil Mathis was asked about that let's take a listen to his response oh not really was at the end of the day, that's why I love my team. Everybody's happy for everybody, you know. This is something we all think we deserve as, as players, so I don't think it's jealousy. I think it's more of everybody happy for everybody. You want to see everybody win. I don't know if this has squashed this, and I, I don't know if there won't be any jealousy whatsoever across college football, but I do think that this is the prevailing belief amongst most locker rooms in college football that most guys will be happy for their teammates when they get an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And, you know, I think the reason for that is, you know, these guys are on a team together. They want to come together, and they're all looking towards one goal, and that's to play well together and to compete and go out there and win. So I think uh, I think off-the-field issues, you know, when it comes to NIL and stuff like that, you're going to cons- you're going to support a, a fellow player. You're going to support a brother whenever uh, he's out there and he's able to get his in, in terms of NIL deals. You know, if I were playing, I would absolutely be uh, all for my 
my uh, fellow teammates going out there and getting NIL deals. So yeah, I would expect locker rooms that are that are truly close knit and are truly together uh, will definitely be supportive of each other. And yeah, like you said, I expect that to kind of be the norm ac- across college football. The type of people that wouldn't be excited about that for their teammates also feel like that even like if in, if you took NIL out of this and NIL wasn't a thing. They would be problems in the locker room anyway. They'd right. have issues with other stuff. That, right. That, that's a personality type. That's what I was going to say is, like, you know, honestly, if there are, if there are players on roster that are upset with other, uh, other players uh, getting NIL deals, they will have transferred or they will not play. They will, they will go somewhere else or they will stop playing. It's like the guys, that's, it's what a team is all about is being together and being supportive of each other and going out there and understanding that you all have one common goal and executing to the best of your ability. So whenever money comes along, like you're going to be supportive whenever a guy that you know and you love it gets, gets that opportunity. So, yeah, I, like I'm not saying that there, that there will be cancers in the locker room out there that are upset over that, but personality types like that that wouldn't be uh, approving of other players getting NIL deals, they will. Uh, they will be not that just won't be the single issue that they'll have and I can imagine that 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 if there are issues within the locker room those players will 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 be seeking other opportunities to play at other schools let's take a quick break here we still have a lot to talk about here at SEC media days one more segment to go here with our special coverage of SEC media days presented by the orthopedic clinic Redmond Vodka and Kia of Auburn Wrapping up day three of SEC Media Days here on On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. SEC Media Days coverage presented by the Orthopedic Clinic Redmond Vodka and Kia of Auburn. Last segment of the show here. we got about six minutes before we get out of here in about ten minutes until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck take over here live at SEC Media Days as well. Day three, and they will be going live from four to six as they do every weekday on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid show today. We've heard from all of the teams today, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, A&M. Lance, takeaways from today. Well, I think for for Alabama, you know, it's just expectations that they go out there and compete, and there's not a whole lot of holes, even though there may seem like there are on offense. You know, it's just Alabama's perspective and Nick Saban's perspective that they're going to go out there and they're going to reload and they're going to have success. And it was just really interesting. uh, Another interesting thing that we were talking about just a minute ago. Remember, we got a text from Mitch just a couple of seconds ago or segments ago about how he'd rather see NC State and Virginia Tech in the SEC, not Texas and Oklahoma. He hit us with a couple of other texts explaining his thought process he said my thinking is you get the North Carolina market the Virginia market which does include DC and the Atlantic coast we already have a team in Texas you add Oklahoma is that a bigger market than North Carolina and Virginia also you can put Missouri in the west where they belong Oklahoma and Texas would pr- provide some good matchups on television but it would would it be the most beneficial thing for the entire conference what are y'all's thoughts oh I think that the Texas and Oklahoma fan bases contribute to a market that that you would want to see at the SEC, maybe more so than Virginia Tech and NC State, even though that is areas that all that that the SEC doesn't have a, a whole lot of access to. Right? That's that's where the ACC market's dominating up and down is the east is the East Coast with Washington D.C. and whatnot. But I'll say this about those areas: those are NFL markets. 
they don't care about college football nearly as much as Texas and Oklahoma's portion of the country does. I'll say this about both uh, markets. Uh, I wouldn't say that Oklahoma's in the southeast. I would also not say that Virginia is, is sitting there. In this. Well, see, that's the thing, like, who cares? But at the same time, it's not regional. It's just, like, this is no longer the Southeastern Conference, right? We're taking away from what the conference truly was, which was the Southeast. Change the name, then. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Title so maybe, it the Southern Conference, just got, which is what it used to be called. It should just be the best conference, because at that point, it would literally be the best conference. I mean, you can't beat 16 teams, and, and, say, and, and eight or nine of them are on the stinking top 25 every single year. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, man. But, yeah. Uh, as That's far as funny. The, the, the B-E-S-T, the best conference. The B- <laughs> <laughs> you still have to have an acronym. I'd love to see that. But, yeah, as far as markets go, you know, I'd like to have the, the, the North Carolina and the Virginia markets. That would be nice. But at the same time, like, like you said, you know, I think the, the fan bases for Texas and Oklahoma are extremely large and would be extremely important to get from a revenue standpoint for some of these schools as far as, you know, now that COVID's over, bringing fans back to the game and getting that atmosphere. And you would just generate so much money. And I think that's what people People would be looking at more than 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 uh, the uh, the North Carolina and the Virginia market. So, so I'm I'm not saying that I'm opposed to potentially bringing on Virginia Tech and NC State. I'd like to see them come to the SEC. I think that would be fun. Uh, but at the same time, though, it'd also be dope if we could get Texas and Oklahoma in as well. Matchups and all that, but also I still have to bring up the uh, reality that there has to be a law of diminishing return when it comes to competition in the SEC, and at some point I think you can add too much to the point where it could backfire. Yeah, I think I think so. When you when it, it may oversaturate it a little bit, right? You may see you may see teams that are really bad get even worse somehow, and you may see teams that were really good. You know, it, it's it's at the same time though, it might oversaturate it. But now I'm thinking about it. Wouldn't it create a little bit of parity potentially at towards the top of the conference, especially whenever you see uh, some powerhouses like Alabama? Is that lose what their the ha- league needs, though? Does the league need more parity at the top of the conference? I think it would be more fun. I think it would be more fun. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily what they need, but I think of a, uh, a people, a lot of people would be excited about it. You said something earlier where you said that it, that you think for sure the, the national champion would most of the time be coming out of the SEC. Right. You still think that happens with parity? Yes, because here's my thing. If they make it out of a 16-team conference, if they make it out of there, they're good enough to compete with the rest of the, the college football world. They're, they're, they're good enough to come out on top. If, if Injuries aside, if they're healthy, they would be good enough. We have to also take into account, I'm sure by the time that this would be going into effect, if it did end up happening, I'm sure by the time that this rolled around, you'd be looking at a 12-team college football playoff, and it doesn't matter if you take one loss at that point. You could take two or three and still get in. Yeah, <laughs> it, would do. it would make it would make the rest of the, the landscape upset. It would make the, the SEC haters, the Big Ten people, uh, the Big 12 obviously would be infuriated. It'd be like, well, if I'm pulling for the conference or if I'm if I'm someone that that works within the conference, it would be really frustrating to see the, my, my two best schools go to another conference. But yeah, it would it would create parity within the, within the SEC and it would just take away parity from the rest of the landscape. Then you could see like an arms race across the rest of college football, though. This could be the powder keg that sets it off. Yeah, and we could see potentially if we're talking about, you know, worst teams getting worse, you know, we could see the group of five split off and make their own thing, and then we could see the power five do their own thing. Of course, like I said, at that point, you know, would the Big 12 even be considered a power five conference if they're losing so much and Oklahoma State and Iowa State aren't able to carry it? Or do those remaining members try and join another conference to make it a super conference? Right. 
That's it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck following us here on the show. They'll be going from 4 to 6 as they do every weekday. We'll be back with you to wrap up SEC Media Days tomorrow. We'll see you same time, same place. You know where to find us.